Well, welcome back to our Safe Harbor's midweek Bible study. We're in Mark chapter 12. We'll start at verse 28. Once again, uh, I had to record here for the month of February without Dr. Hunter because he has another job, and that job pulled him away from the opportunity to record with me. We do expect to have him back. Uh, Thank you for asking. Uh, He's a good guy, and he has been donating so much of his time to us. We can't tell him he has to not do his other job. So he's doing that, and I'm sure doing that very, very well. Uh, We had to record, in fact, all of February in one fell swoop because, again, traveling, sickness, weather, many things interrupt this, this schedule, so we have to go at it the best we can. And so we did record all of February at one time. This is not my Wednesday shirt. If you go back through, you'll see I'm always wearing this shirt in February. It's not my Wednesday shirt. We're doing it, going right at it. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. A series of people have been asking these questions, trying to trip up Jesus. Here comes one, and it doesn't indicate that this guy's trying to trip him up. This guy seems to be looking for honest information. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. In other words, wait a minute, maybe I can get my question answered, because Jesus is answering really well here. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, you may look at that and go, well, how silly, they're all important. But really, is that the way we treat things? Um, thou shalt not kill. That's pretty big. Thou shalt not covet. Well, not as big as killing. In other words, if you were to come to me and say, Patrick, would you rather I kill you and take your guitar? Or would you rather I just wish I had your guitar? I know which one of those I would choose. And so to play with the idea in our head that we look upon all the commandments as equal is not in actuality true. And if you are an observant follower of God in this time, that would mean you were a Jew, uh, then you're going to try to to make sure your priorities are the same as God's. And don't we do that even now that the Jews and Gentiles are all part of God's family we want to know what's the most important thing. You know, I, how many times I've been in worship where in Protestant churches and they're going to take the communion and they will say, this is the most important part of our service. Have you ever heard that phrase? The Bible never uses that term. But we always look for what is the most important part. Arguably, you could say the other parts are important too uh, and as important, but... I understand the arguments that people make for these. We always want to know, you know, I can't do everything for my wife. What can, what's the most important thing I need to take care of? Can't do everything for your husband. What's a, all right, that, all right? It's a good question. The most important one. By the way, I would have expected Jesus to dodge this one or to find a way to say, how dare we rank? But he didn't. He gave an answer, and the answer should make you very, 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 very happy. Ready? The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everybody listening to Jesus, and there would have been quite the crowd. They're in a temple court, which is crowded anyway because of Passover. 
But it's also this, this ongoing battle between Jesus and the religious leaders of all different, you know, right, left, and center. Uh, it's, it's a big crowd now. And what does he say? He says, the Shema. Every Jew says the Shema every day. Every observant Jew. Most of them, several times a day. Shema Israel Adonachenu Adonai Achad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. That's the Shema. It's huge in Jewish tradition and religion, uh, in observance. And I, my father used to teach Hebrew when I was a boy. And so he taught us Hebrew at the same time. I was learning it about the same time learning to read English. My father was a very different kind of fellow. So we would learn these phrases. And my father would take me to synagogue on Friday nights. Not all the time. I, probably in my entire life, 20, maybe 30 times. But I was able to follow the Hebrew because my dad had taught me that. And the beauty of it, but you would always hear the Shema. And you would hear it sung beautifully. And, they, and it is sung by the leader, uh, the cantor of the, uh, the synagogue. And they would hold out the name Lord and God. Because the longer you hold it, the more reverent you are. It's a beautiful thing. I'd recommend if you have the opportunity to be invited to one of the services that you go. That said, the Shema, hero, the most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's not a command. That's just a statement. Here comes a command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Wow. That's a beautiful one. Really comes out of Leviticus 19, if you want to look that up later. The second is this. Oh, you're getting a bonus answer. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Hmm. So, if you had a chance to sit down with Jesus and say, listen, I'm a man or I'm a woman of sin. I, uh, I try to do well. But as you know, God, I fail so often. And, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not really sure I can get per to perfection. But as I try, what should my priorities be? What is the thing I need to do more than anything else? Do you think you'll pay attention to his answer? Well, I think so. I think you'll be leaning in at this point. He says, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor like you love yourself. By the way, there's not an out here. I've had people, especially whenever we go to Ephesians, talking about uh, husbands love your wives even as you love yourself. You know, no man ever hated his own body, but... And I've had men say, but I, I don't love myself. I really hate my body. And I'm going, you say you hate your body, but you still let it watch TV that it likes and you still take it places and give it food. So you really are treating your body as if you don't hate it at that stage. So love your neighbor as yourself. You're not out of it if you're going, I don't really like myself. No. Treat them like you are actually treating yourself. And we do treat ourselves. Uh, it's part of the human experience. Loving God and loving your neighbor. Did you notice something which is not mentioned? Actually, it's a whole pile of something. Observances, doctrines, 
how you're supposed to worship, where you're supposed to worship, when you're supposed to worship, who you're allowed to worship with, who you cannot fellowship in any way, shape, or form, what doctrine should be on the list that we have to sign before we... None of that. And so at our safe harbor, we've said none of that. None of it. I was recently asked, um, actually just, when you're watching this, it'll be over a month ago, but for me, it was just less than a week ago by a fellow saying, now, do you guys have like an elders group? That, that, and I said, no, we don't do it that way because that was a Jewish setup and it worked really well when you were in a communitarian uh, culture. But now we are spread. So instead, I have a board, our safe harbor has a board that keeps us scrupulously honest and clean in our dollars and cents. Everything is made absolutely, it looks good, it is good. It's not just legal, it's also moral all the way through. But when it comes to doctrine, I'm kind of the lead voice here. But does that mean that I'm a solo Lone Ranger type? No. I hear from my house church, which meets here. This is in a private home that meets here. But I also hear from you. I hear from your house churches. I get questions or suggestions from Spokane, from Los Angeles, from Mexico. I get it from Canada. I get them from Tanzania and Mozambique. And we are a community. And so we listen uh, to suggestions. And we listen to ideas. But we also listen to, that doesn't work for me. You know, those are really rare right now. Because let's face it, in a worldwide house church format, if you don't like something, you deselect it and you go watch something else, right? But some people are, think, well, you know, this is really good. But we could do better if we, and we listen to that. We're a true community that makes these connections. And when I go do these welcome home visits, I ask people, how can we love you better? What's working for you? What is not working for you? And so it's, it's like we're all on the board, all right? There are no non-board members in our safe harbor. And that's even if you've not officially become a member. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Just let us know you want to be. Send us uh, a note at info at oursafeharbor.com. And give us your name and your address and contact info. We never share that without permission. Never. And we also don't bombard you. You only get one email from us a week. And that's if you've asked to be on the newsletter. So that's pretty cool, right? Um, there won't be a test on the newsletter, but I really think there should be. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to here. Love them. And he says, well said, teacher. I always thought that was funny. Good job, God. Okay. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Yes! It's more important than the way you do religion. It's more important even than the way you sacrifice yourself for his glory. To love God and love your neighbor trumps all of that. Jesus saw that he had answered wisely. Remember how this story started? He noticed that Jesus had answered wisely. Jesus noticed that he has answered wisely. And he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What does that mean? He says, you get it. You're just about there, buddy. Well, we would say he's in because Jesus has now beaten sin and death for us. So we're in. And if we're in, the guy that asked the good questions in. From then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I would think one would learn after a while. 
After you touch the stove, that's hot, that's hot, that's hot. Maybe stop touching the stove. When Jesus was teaching in a temple court, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, and here he's going to make a quotation out of Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. All right, what? We don't get this. We, it's just not part of our culture. And when I say we, I'm really thinking worldwide here because I'm, I'm not really sure that we reach anywhere in the world that has this level of ancestor respect. Now, you know, several Native American tribes have ancestor respect. Um, I know that Taoism, um, Buddhism, there are certain levels of ancestor respect, uh, certainly in Shintoism um, and, and Japan, but it's not quite the same. They believed, the religious people believed, that they were children of David, therefore that gave them status, and that you know, David, David, David was up here, they, and they could have said the same with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, most of the time they didn't put Isaac and Jacob in that formula because their faith was different and not quite as powerful as that of Abraham. It, it was a big argument. Okay, here's the point. They're, they're saying, why do they keep saying son of David? Because when you say son of David, what many people assume then is inferior to. That's what Jesus is saying. Why do some people think that the Messiah will be the son of David? Well, most of us would go, well, doesn't the Bible say that a whole bunch of times? It does, but it doesn't mean what they thought it meant. That's what he's getting at. Saying, is he the son? Because David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, referred to the coming son, the Messiah, as his Lord. And if he's his Lord, how can he be his son? And people are going, well, that's amazing. Never thought of that before, but that's a good point. And they're starting to hear things they'd never heard in Scripture before. They're starting to see things they've never seen before. This is an intense week and a really good week for the people listening to Jesus. It will not end well for Jesus, but it will end well for all of humanity three days after the week's done. As he taught... Jesus said, I love this part, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquet. You know what I love most about this? Is because they were there. He was able to say, watch out for them. They love wearing the fancy clothes. They love being respected. They love being everybody kowtowing to them. And you know, they have to sit in the best places of honor. And they have to be you know, looked upon as these great grand people. He says, watch out for them. Listen to what he says next. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Oh, my goodness, right where they are, right in the temple grounds, 
Jesus has declared war on religious leaders who profit off of others and then declare themselves to be the holy ones. We mentioned this, what, a week or two ago about televangelists. It's a phenomena that was big in America. It is smaller now, um, but it is still there where they will, you know, you know God, God requires that you send money to me. And by the way, the prosperity gospel, which is massive in Africa, South America, and other places, is a complete sham and shame. Preachers will come and say, you know, you give that money to me, you give it to God, and God's going to bless you back 10 times, 100 times, but he's not going to bless you unless you sacrifice and you got to give more. And the preachers end up having money, clothes, position, power, and their people are struggling to feed their children. Jesus says, those are not religious leaders worthy of honor. Those are wolves. And they will be punished most severely. God said it. He means it. We got to stop it. We have to live humbly before our God. And not demand from others that they feed us at their own cost. We ask for your contributions. But we've never said to you, you've got to give. And you've got to give this much. And we've certainly never lied to you. And said that God won't prosper you unless you give over a certain amount. There was a, a fellow, a great religious leader named Oral Roberts. Who even went to the point of saying that God had told him. If he didn't raise a certain number of millions of dollars by a certain time. God was going to kill him and take him to heaven. And he said so weeping on TV. And the most heartbreaking thing about this is while Christianity was ridiculed all over the world over this. Millions of people sent him their money because they believed him anyway. What do you do? How do you handle this? Whenever Jesus didn't even have a place to lay down to call his own, how do you, how do, you do this? We need to be listening to Jesus more. We need to be reading these stories more. And we need to be living these stories more. In fact, Jesus is going to point something out about the relative value of giving to God. Jesus sat down at the opposite place. Um, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. This actually had become a show. It was supposed to be just giving to God. But there were people who made it a show. Uh, you know, when you give kids something to put in an offering plate that goes by, if you go to a church that passes an offering plate, you know that they're going to hold the coins up and let them loose one at a time. Let them do it. Don't hurry them along. I've seen parents trying to shake it out of the kid's hand. Kid wants to drop the coins in. Kid wants to be part of the process. So <coughs> let them do it. But when you grow up, grow up. We have a little basket here at our house church. I think most of our people give online or through our app, which is a fantastic app. If you don't know how to get it, send us a note at info at rsafeharbor.com. Super easy. <coughs> In one place gives you access to the prayer wall, to all of our sermons and documents. 
what's happening, the news and the like. No push notifications unless you want them. You can also give through the app. I think most people give through the app. Uh, there's, it's called Tithely, but just get our app. Uh, or they'll give, some give through PayPal. A lot give through checks because there are no fees for those. Yay. Um, but some of us here put our money in a little basket off to the side. Because of how I was raised, I, I do that. It saves fees and it's, I don't even have to make a stamp. I turn my check down so that all you see is the back. Is that required? No. But I look at this and I keep thinking, God doesn't want it to be a show. God doesn't want it to be a, oh, look how much or how little that person's giving. Because we like to compare, don't we? And that's just, so this has become quite the show. Putting their money into the temple, you know, shaking a bag of coins here, buddy. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Well, widows were the, the poorest people with the least opportunity back then. Many versions used to say put in two mites because that was the name of the coin, but that doesn't, in, in English, that can also mean a bug, and it doesn't mean much when it comes to money. So a few copper coins, or you know, two very small copper coins, that's probably a better way to explain it to English speakers. If ever you can come to see us here at the soundstage, we would love for you to do that. Again, let us know when you'd like to come at info at rsafeharbor.com. Because it's a private residence, we never give out the address. But we will tell you where to go park, and we'll bring you here, all right? Uh, that's because privacy is important, and the Internet is the Wild West, right? But if you come, there are some things you can see here. And the owner of this house graciously gave one little window thing here to my wife and I, which I said one little as if that was, he's not being parsimonious, very generous. We only, we said, well, we could do one window. And then there are some things made for us from our friends on the Isle of Skye in Scotland. But there are also some things from Israel. And two of them are little copper coins, mites, that actually come from the first century. And they're there. And so you can come see those. We would love to see you. And you can come see those. How's that? Calling his disciples to him. Jesus said, truly I tell you, that poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Now, I want to stress something here. There are no commands in Scripture that she do that. None. There, there are no way, Jesus is not saying, you got to give it all to me. No. He is amazed and touched by this woman's faith. We know that in Scripture, very, there, it's often that Jesus is surprised at faith. Or shocked at the lack of faith. But more often he is surprised at faith that actually exists. He's saying this widow. I guarantee you he talked to his father about this widow. I guarantee you that angels were dispatched to work with this angel. And again I don't want to give the wrong impression. I'm, if you right now are feeling lonely. And that God's not really paying attention to you. 
I am not suggesting that if you gave us all your money, God would like you better. That is not true. That is not true. We are to give as we prospered in our own heart. We make that decision and we are to, to give cheerfully. I don't understand why this widow did what she did. But she did what she did out of an abundance of faith. And Jesus saw it and he said she gave more than everybody else. And that'd be saying something because the line to give would have been huge. It was Passover. Everybody was coming to Jerusalem. Well, we've got about 10 minutes left to enter a very thorny uh, subject. No matter where I go, when people find out that I'm a pastor, I, it seems somewhere the conversation will go to, oh, we're living in the last times. I think sometimes during election years, we just wish it was the last time so it could be all over. Uh, but the, oh yeah, all the signs are, friends with respect. There has not been one generation since Jesus that hasn't seen all of the signs and we're completely convinced theirs was the last generation. What are the odds you're right? And I've had people say, but, but I, I, it just matches everything and I just know in my heart. Well, I rarely refer to the theological uh, assembly of personages that's known in America as the Simpsons. But years and years ago, Homer Simpson went on this thing about the end of the world. And he says, but I just have this great feeling. It can't be wrong. I have a feeling. Your feelings don't change the facts. They don't move the needle of the universe. People always want to know, when's the end? Now, Matthew goes into a lot more detail about what's about to happen than Mark does. So if you want to go look at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 23, 24, and you look at there, uh, you can get more detail. Right now, we're going to do it Peter's way, which is short and episodic. Chapter 13, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings, what's going on? Well, Herod, in one of his um, attempts to make the Jews like him, even though he was a murderous, evil, half-crazy, uh, no, just crazy dude, uh, was to restore and rebuild the temple. So for a long time, decades, he'd been restoring the temple. And quite frankly, he was, he was making it really, really pretty and impressive. As pretty and impressive as the one Solomon built? Probably not. But he was been working hard on it. And the people were really impressed. And so one of his disciples is saying, wow, look at this. Isn't this great? Jesus says, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Well, that kind of took the starch out of the happy day. And so people don't say much. There's no reaction to him that's recorded here. Later, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so they're all looking at it, when the sun comes down to a certain place, it just would light up the whole thing. Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask him privately, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're all about to fulfill, be fulfilled? Notice they didn't say, that's crazy talk, Jesus. They actually did say, all right, when? And they'd already lost temples before to invading forces. 
And is there going to be a way for us to know it's coming? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. Christians, you want to underline that one? Do you want, do you want to? I know it's not easy. I work with a small community of Chinese people in our area. We have to communicate using translation services via Google or several different apps uh, because I'm not going to learn Chinese at the age of 67. Uh, they will tell me the difference between tones, and I hear zero difference between that word that they've just said eight times, but it means eight different things. And they have a real hard time with English because English refuses to follow the rules. It says tons of irregular verbs, and spelling does not equal pronunciation most of the time, it seems, to them. So we have to work like this. Well, I'm recording this a month ahead, uh, so this, is, this would have occurred at the end of January. I got a text from one of the Chinese people saying, Patrick, we saw the news today. Texas is at war. What's going to happen? Well, in American politics at the end of January 2024, Texas put up a wire to try to protect their borders from being overrun and their hospitals uh, filled to capacity, the, the schools to capacity. They're trying to make a border. And the administration was saying, no, you can't put the wire there. They'd gone to court. The court said that um, Texas couldn't stop Border Patrol from coming and cutting the wire. Didn't say that Texas couldn't put up the wire. But the news lied. The news said it told them they have to take it down. That's, that wasn't in the judgment at all. Whether or not you agree with the judgment. You know, truth is truth. You got to deal with it. Well, then the news ginned up this thing about this is a new civil war because several governors, if I understand correctly, 25 governors in all, said, no, we're backing Texas because this is a real problem. And the news kept acting like, this is civil war, this is civil war, this is civil war. Some of them even said 700,000 trucks are headed to Texas. All right, people, do the math. There are only a couple of roads down to that area. 700,000 trucks, I actually did the math. If they had gone side by side 24-7, would have still taken well over a month to get there. And they couldn't get there because there's no there there for them to park. So I had to explain to Chinese people the best I could, this is the news. It's not true. You have to be aware that there are checks and balances. We're not going to war. Now, by the way, if you're watching this on February 28th and um, tanks are rolling in your streets, I got it wrong. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think there's a chance. But people love drama. And there'll be war. <gasps> Ukraine and Russia. That's horrific. The Hamas invading Israel. Beyond Horrific. And you hear these things, and, and China might go for Taiwan, and North Korea is going to lob enough, and people are going, oh, it's got to be the end of the world. No, it might be the end of you. It might be the end of me. It might be the end of this or that country. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Countries have come into being and disappeared for thousands of years, and it wasn't the end of the world. So Jesus says, when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. I think that you should be 
politically informed, but be aware that there are no neutral sources of information. So you look at them all, you do some thinking, that's hard, do some thinking, sort it out, remember that God is still king, and move forward. Um, He goes on, he says, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. I'll never forget that when Disney and, uh, what do they call it, Epcot Center um, down in uh, Disney World, down in Florida, way back, what was that, 1980-something, decided to do an official uh, gay day for homosexual and and the like uh, to be specially welcomed in their park. And no matter where you stand on that, not the point. Here's the point. Pat Robertson, one of those church TV preachers, said that God was going to punish them. Jerry Falwell, another TV preacher, said the same. And they both agreed that God was going to send hurricanes against Florida to punish them. Couple of things. One, no hurricane hit Florida for one of the longest stretches in modern history. So that was a dud. Number two, hurricanes in Florida must be a sign of the end of the world, right? No, it's Florida. They get hurricanes. It's part of, part of the circle of life down there. It's kind of like dust storms in Morocco. It's going to happen because of geography and because of where they are on the planet, airstreams. And yet people panicked. God's going to do this. God, No. I love the way that Jesus says it. Earthquakes are going to happen in various places. These, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. What's he talking about? The end of the world? No, no, no. That's not the question they asked. Now, in the Olivet Discourse, when you go to chapters 23 and 24 of Matthew, after he's just really bashed the Pharisees pretty hard, they ask him two questions. When will the fall of Jerusalem be or the temple? And when are, what are the signs at the end of the world? He's answering two questions, and I don't understand why so few people pay attention to that fact, and they try to make the whole chapter about the end of the world when it's not. It is about the end of Jerusalem. And then, and even in Matthew, where he, start, he says, but of that day and hour, the end of the world, no man knows, not even the Son. Jesus said, I don't even know it, but the Father. And he says, it's just going to be like every other day. Morning, evening, seed time, harvest, it's going to be like every other day. No signs for it. And yet, we miss it. So I'm going to go a little bit over time here, if I may. And by the way, this is all voluntary. So I know, I know you're well. You can, you can bump out anytime you want to. Let me get a couple more verses in. You must be on your guard, apostles. You will be handed over to the local councils. You will be beaten, flogged in the synagogues. Sometimes the least amount of Christians you can find is in a place where they claim they're gathering. Be careful. On account of me... You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop there, but let me just wrap it up. by saying, And we're going to have to enter mid-story next time. Sorry. Um, He's telling him, no fear, it's going to happen. It's going to be bad. It's going to hurt, but no fear. 
Don't even worry about how you're going to conduct yourself. How well you will do when put under. He said, the Holy Spirit will take care of all of that. And I will say to you as well, the news has to terrify you to keep eyeballs on screens or clicks on X or whatever platform you're using. The news has to terrify you. That's its job, to keep you there to sell you commercials and products. You are what they're selling as well. On, on Facebook, you are the product. You don't have to be afraid. Fear's not an option. And love is never optional. The Holy Spirit will take care of this. What if I fail? You're not going to fail. Even if it looks like you failed, God's already got you in the palm of his hands. It's going to be all right. Be at peace. God will outlive this and we will never die because he promised. Trust him? Of course we do. We'll see you next week.